So I have a little uh, philosophy of ministry of how to do that. And the first one is honor all. Everyone in the body of Christ, let's work hard to honor those, even those we might not differ with. You're not responsible to convert everyone to our infinitely perfect perspective. <laughs> and then the second level, it's like you think of a funnel. So it's 24-7 honor all. And then you engage with many. And that's what we did yesterday. We were engaging and learning from each other and blessing each other and hearing stories. It was just remarkable. And then we partner with few. In other words, those that we're aligned with theologically, those who we missionally are strategically connected to in terms of the church planning and church strengthening. And uh, that's what we're doing here. This is a, a partnering exercise. And uh, it's not one-way traffic. We have been receiving a lot of grace uh, from our conversations and interactions with the elders. So let me commend to you, your elders, wonderfully led by... Uh, what's that guy's name again? Uh, Imbonisi and, and Tush and the rest of the couples who somehow own this. We understand that our theological conviction is that men are the elders. But I love it to be in around meals with men and women, uh, affirming the fact that we need both fathers and mothers in the church for it to flourish uh, into its fullness. So on behalf of Sue and I, thank you so much for the gift of the invitation to be here, but also thank you for putting aside a Saturday morning where you could be at the beach at Mombasa <laughs> and you had to choose. I know you woke up this morning thinking beach, <laughs> crazy South African pastor, beach. And then I just want to say you chose well. <laughs> so I want to speak to you that there is, I think for the, Second session. Let me just check my notes. I, I know some of you are going to like be looking at that and thinking, A, that it's like a Picasso. I mean, if you look at that, but I'll give you a, a little bit of a hint what it's about. It's for the Americans in Amidst. It's a, it's a, it's a baseball diamond. Just think of that. It's a baseball diamond. And we're going to be looking at that. Uh, but we'll do that in the second session. Uh, the, the first session today is uh, I've entitled Relief for Overfunctioning Leaders. Relief for Overfunctioning Leaders. And some of you are thinking, what on earth is all that about? And I just want to say, I'm so glad you've asked that question. Can I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6? And we're reading together where Paul says right at the beginning there, carry each other's burdens. Say burdens. burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Say load. load. Burdens. Load. Say it. Burdens. 
No. One, we're to help others with, we're to bear one another's burdens. And one, the other load, is what you are designed, called, and equipped to carry as part of what it means to be a mature follower or leader of Jesus in his church. So when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, was he speaking the truth to us? And I want to say to you, I've been in ministry for four decades and have loved most of it, but I've had seasons where I can't say everything about my role and what I've carried has been free of, of just, just weight and sometimes crushing burden. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is there something that God wants to teach us about how as leaders and emerging leaders in one tribe, we can carry our load with maturity and dignity whilst helping other people with their burdens and a healthy kind of attention. So some of you may be familiar with the Townsend and Cloud book that was written maybe 20 years ago called Boundaries. Very interesting book. I'm not getting into the book, but I do want to read to you quite an interesting story to illustrate where I believe God wants to help us today. So Dr. Townsend was in a session with parents of a 25-year-old son and with a common request, his parents came and said, can you please fix our son, Bill? When I asked Bill where Bill was, they answered, oh, he didn't want to come. Why, I asked. Well, he doesn't think he has a problem, they replied. Maybe he's right, Townsend said, to their surprise. Tell me about it. They recited a history of problems that began at a very young age. Bill had never been quite up to snuff. It wasn't good enough in their eyes. In recent years, he had exhibited problems with drugs and an inability to stay in school and find a career. It, it was apparent that they loved their son very much and were heartbroken over the way he was living. They tried everything they knew to get him to change and live a responsible life. But all had failed. He was still using drugs, avoiding responsibility, and kept questioning and kept questionable company. They told me that they'd always given him everything he needed. He had plenty of money at school, so he wouldn't have to work, and he would have plenty of time for study and a social life. When he flunked out of school or stopped going to classes, they were more than happy to do everything they could to get him into another school where it might be better for him. After they talked for a while, I responded. Townsend says, I think your son is right. He doesn't have a problem. You could have mistaken their expression for a snapshot. They stared at me in disbelief for a full minute. Finally, the father said, did I hear you right? You don't think he's got a problem? That's correct, I said. He doesn't have a problem. 
You do. He can do pretty much whatever he wants, no problem. You pay, you fret, you worry, you plan, you exert energy to keep him going. He doesn't have a problem because you've taken it from him. The things should be his problem, but as it now stands, they are yours. Would you like me to help you to help him have some problems? <laughs> they looked at me like I was crazy, but some lights were beginning to go on, their head, in, on in their heads. What do you mean, help him to have some problems, his mother asked. Well, I explained. I think that the problem to his, the solution to his problem would be to clarify some boundaries so that his actions cause him problems and not you. What do you mean boundaries, the father asked. Look at it this way. It is as if your neighbor who never waters his lawn, but whenever you turn on your sprinkler system, your water only falls on his lawn. Your grass is turning brown and dying. But Bull looks down at the green grass and thinks to himself, his neighbor, my yard is doing wonderfully. That's how your son's life is. He doesn't study. He doesn't plan. He doesn't work. Yet he has a nice place to live, plenty of money, and all the rights of a family member who's doing his part. If you would define the, the property lines for the watering illustration a little better, if you would fix the sprinkler system so that the water would fall on your lawn, and if it didn't water your neighbor's lawn, he would have to live in dirt. He might not like that after a while. As it stands now, he is irresponsible and happy, and you are responsible and miserable. A little boundary clarification could do the trick. You need some fences to keep his problems out of your yard and in his where they belong. Isn't that a bit cruel just to stop helping like that, the father asked? Has helping helped, he asked. His look told me that he was beginning to understand. Now, I know you're thinking, where is this going today? And our title was Relief for Overfunctioning. It can be parents, it can be elders, it can be deacons, it can be ministry leaders, it can be marketplace uh, uh, leadership, where our need to be needed is actually our idol. And we end up overfunctioning. And then very often, instead of multiplying and uh, mobilizing ministry, we monopolize it. We become a point of codependency for others, and we're not empowerers. And the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church was to animate the whole body so that the grace of God would flow through all the body with all its diverse parts. But if you've got a few parts that are over-functioning, you by implication have a lot of parts that are under-functioning. And if you're under-functioning, you're not maturing. And if you're over-functioning, you're not getting more mature, you're actually demonstrating immaturity and insecurity. Now, I know I'm not getting invited back because... <laughs> 
I'm about to realize when my son is 40 and I go to his home and he's planning all his renovations and he's telling me stuff and I, in, in me, every instinct is, this is my boy. I don't want him to make a mistake. There could be costs here. But if he's not asking, I've learned, shut up. Some of how he will mature as being a property owner with his renovation, I, I, you know, I, I might just say something like, hey, if you would like my thoughts, I'm happy to share them, but go for it. What we've got to realize is we've got to put limits on our contributions so that we can multiply others. Even God refuses to overfunction in our lives. I love the little story I heard a while back about a guy getting out of bed so desperate to please the Lord and said, oh God, today's the day you've made. I want to please you in everything that I do. Should I wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? <laughs> and God said to him, son, wear any shirt. I'm your father, not your mother. <laughs> so let's get the tension between helping with one another's burdens and carrying our own load, taking responsibility for our lives and our, our part in the body of Christ, your part in this team. We are responsible to others, but we're responsible for ourselves. Carry one another's burdens. Burdens are those things that are too big for anyone to bear on their own. So quickly, let's interact. What are some of the things that you would say, life challenges that come our way? What's a burden that no one should have to carry on their own? Shout it out. Bereavement, loss of a loved one. Someone else. Sickness. Yeah, the burden of doing that on your own. You know, you're, you're just lying in a bed. You need some people to come and pray, some elders to minister to you, others to come encourage you, read scripture, and just come and laugh and cheer you up. We need, we need, we, we need somebody to carry our burdens. Uh, somebody else? Running a business. <laughs> so this is brilliant because... It's a, it's a little bit of a challenging one. We've got, to, we've got to define that. Like, I'm starting a business. I'm in debt. I'm in debt because I've, I've overspent. I'm in debt because I've overhired. Now's my time to invite some people to carry my burdens. I would say you must, in, when you're starting a business, you've never done it before. That's a good time to say, I need, I need help, somebody to help me carry the burden of this. Because A, your circle of knowledge is just maybe not big enough. But in crisis times, I would imagine, even if there has been like foolishness and failure, I still would agree with you. Get somebody else in because you might have to close that business quickly and not have to uh, and, and, and have the reality, reality check early rather than just hope for the best. So essentially, uh, burdens are those things that are too big for us to bear. Uh, and... Uh, And, and denying ourselves to do for others what they cannot do for themselves or denying ourselves so that we can do for others what they cannot do for themselves is expressing the sacrificial love of Christ. Yes. I, it's part of the new nature. It's like 
for those who are following Jesus, we're not trying to do the right thing. We're becoming the kind of people for whom doing the right thing is just natural. We love people. It's part of our new nature. And so bearing one another's burden is part of what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Sometimes we need to be specialized in in the way we help people carry their burdens. So we have in Common Ground a thing called redemption groups where we specialize, bringing people together in similar seasons, breaking addictions, identity issues, sexuality issues, pornography, addiction issues. We have those. Let's help instead of put people under the massive cloud of condemnation. So there's a carrying of of helping people to carry their burdens. Now, problems arise when people act as if these massive burdens are just their, their daily load. Except Moving to the second word, your load, what you're designed to carry, is proportionate to your capacity to carry it. It's actually the word load means cargo in the Greek. That's the picture in mind. The ship was designed to carry this kind of weight. Folk, we don't get mature without carrying weight. We don't grow in maturity. We don't grow the muscles of a functioning body until people are carrying the load of what they are designed to carry. And so overfunctioning can be defined as doing for others what they can and should be doing for themselves, as in the illustration. Uh, The biblical illustration is when Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to tell him, isn't it interesting, this is a Midianite pagan. You know, some of us think we can't get wisdom from the outside. It all has to be a Bible verse. This Jethro comes to him and says to him, what you're doing is not good and communicates the strategy to deliver and release Moses from overfunctioning, but also his wife from the misery of a neglect, neglectful husband because it, the father-in-law was probably coming to Moses to say, look, there's some problems, you know, I'm not getting enough grandchildren because you're never at home. You're too busy solving everybody else's problems and and uh, I'm embellishing the story a little. Don't go and look for all of that detail, <laughs> spicy stuff in the Bible. And we can see what may be happening in Israel. They're overfunctioning. A few things that go wrong perpetuates Im- immaturity. And folk, a church that makes maturity its discipleship goal. It's going to grow. It's going to multiply. It's going to play happy football for the sake of the UK people, because they don't like this, they like soccer. Also, overfunctioning prevents us from focusing on God's unique call on our own lives. We become problem solvers. We don't become stewards of the diverse grace of God that He's given to us individually. And overfunctioning can also erode spiritual life, because we're so busy doing stuff, if the outflow exceeds the inflow, the shortfall will be the downfall. (laughs) You know what? He should take you out on a restaurant because you just (laughs) have a fantastic meal. Just, I actually have a hired cheerleader here. (laughs) Guys, I'm just being relaxed and want you to feel relaxed in this, but drink it in. There's some, there's relief in understanding this stuff. 
And God doesn't want your life eroded. Sometimes, listen carefully, we so give ourselves to the work of God that the work of God is killing the work of God in us. And we're not bringing as much grace as we think we are. We're just tired. Sometimes we can become resentful. We like that I better do this even if it kills me. And it does in ways that you might not even be aware of. You're shrinking on the inside. While on the outside, everybody thinks, oh, what a committed member of our church. We've got to be careful as elders that we don't ask too much of people. We've got to ask in proportion to the load that God has designed them to carry. If, you, if you're an elder, you've got a load. It's defined in the Bible what you're supposed to carry. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a deacon and you'll find you, you've been in this training, you've been on this journey, you are, in a sense, co-leading the church with the elders, carrying the weight of it. But it's a delightful cargo to carry. It's, the, it's for the glory of God. And then overfunctioning also destroys community because it can have a pressure on relationships. Think Mary, Mark, Martha. The conflict there is a relational conflict. Mm-hmm. And one of them's overfunctioning and one of them's choosing the better thing and just drinking in the grace of God. And the other one's getting resentful and all of those kind of things. And so we're going to answer the question how to stop. Overfunctioning. And I'm going to give you three sets of exercises that we're going to learn together. Number one, we're going to stop doing certain things. Then we're going to start doing certain things. And the way we care for people and the shepherding model in our whatever it is we do in ministry. And then thirdly, we're going to surrender certain things to the sovereignty of God. Is that a lovely thought? Let's have it out there. What are we going to do? We're going to stop, start, surrender. An illustration of why this is so important. Robert Lipton in his book, Toxic Charity. If you're involved in NGOs and developmental aid issues, it's very interesting. When relief does not transition to development in a timely way, compassion becomes toxic. And so if a newborn Christian is born again in our community, we we give disproportionate amount of grace to that level of maturity. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. That little child, my sins are forgiven, my sins are forgiven, self-conscious phase. And so there's a way of moving toward the person. Do you want to just do what you do for the next 10 years in that child's life? Newborn babe? No. You're from day one. You're teaching them to desire the sincere milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. But guys, there's a whole lot of stuff we can't do for the people we lead. We have to nurture them toward the life source that is not the church, not the program. All of those things can be supplementary. Christ himself is the well that we want even the newest born babe to feed off. And so from the earliest point, self-conscious cry, cry, my sins are forgiven. How would they know that? We show them in the scriptures. We give them an appetite, the milk of God's word. But he also says, I write to you young men because the word of God dwells in you and you've overcome the wicked. This guy's ready to rock it. He's ready to make an impact. He wants to influence. He wants to take ground. Yeah. This girl wants to lead Bible studies for unbelieving ladies in her Villa compound of 
all these rich people that have got too much money and not enough time to actually find out what matters. I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about back home in Cape Town. No, that's coming, that's coming, that's coming. It's in the, by the way, I'm, she's a ventriloquist and I'm just letting it flow out towards you. But I invite that from Sue. I love it when she reminds me of what I may be missing. But she's over-functioning. It's an illustration. <laughs> and then he says, I write to you fathers because you've known him from the beginning. You know what fathers need to take more responsibility? All these people who claim to be mature and they think their maturity is because of all the Bible verses they know. But they can't carry the weight of looking after leaders and nurturing leaders and being more strategic and going for retreats to really get to know God even more so that they can care for the young men and young women and the little newborn babes. Time to say something. Am I doing okay? <laughs> That's uh, two meals for you. <laughs> okay. If we don't convert that, that initial compassion in the toxic charity quote into, into development toward maturity, we create the, the cultures of codependency where people phone us at disproportionate times, blah, blah, blah. Now, hey, let's, be, let's, let's just realize if there's a crisis relation, we're available to each other, full stop. If there's a life-threatening intervention, but there are people, if we've built a codependency uh, uh, culture, we'll milk that culture. And it's just a matter of time where you're going to say, oh, how can I get out of this? I'm giving you a preemptive bit of coaching on how to aim for maturity in the body of Christ for all its different life stages. Okay, so let's look at some of the things that we can stop, start, and surrender. Number one, stop playing the hero. Don't you find it remarkable that Jesus himself walks away from a needy crowd and sails across the other side of the lake? We are not uh, called to meet needs. We're called to commit or connect people to a well. Call Jesus Christ. And if they don't know that, they want to drink off your well. Stop being the hero when you're having a coffee with somebody and you just download your great, beautiful revelation. Because all that's happening is you feeling good about your devotional time. And you look fantastic. And the person in front of you has not had any devotion. And they're thinking, this is amazing. I have been so lazy, but I just thank God for you. You're there for me. More. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> and I have this saying that's helped me over the years in my own really genuine love. I'm, I love people. I love leaders, but I've realized I've had, to, I've had to really discover my own limits. And there's a massive difference between people's perceived need 
and the actual need. Come back to the illustration. I'm downloading my devotion. Tasha saying, oh, rivers of, rivers of living water. I just feel so encouraged. More rigby, more, more, more. I give it to you. I say, oh, I'll do it. I, I can do this once a week with you because I want to disciple you. Now, she's a believer. Listen carefully to what's coming. She's a believer. A believer is a verb or a noun. If you're a believer, can you, if you're a believer, can I, can I believer you? No. And if you're a new, newborn disciple, can I disciple you? You can see where I'm going here. We are eclipsing Jesus in our discipleship agendas and our focus, and we're getting people to drink off our well. Now, I'm not saying we're not, by example, nudging people north. Let's do that. But this whole beautiful entity called the church started with the word, follow me. I will make you. He's doing the discipling to become a fisher of men. I know we are kind of co-disciples with Jesus, but we've got language now that kind of very subtly places us in this role of I'm your discipler, you my disciple. Now, if you've got a different view, I want to just say this to you very humbly, you're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> I just want us to think freshly, you don't have to agree with me. I really sincerely mean that. I know there are people with, with different um, strategies for how we can help people. I'm just giving you a fresh one that can maybe accelerate uh, our ability to mobilize people north in a ways that, that are really more life-giving. And so we need to die to this savior complex, to this being the hero of another person's story. Secondly, stop exaggerating your role in the body of Christ. I love what uh, Sean did. He said, let's get behind the band. The brief was not to the band to help us, pump us up, get the right key, make us feel better, do some gymnastics. No, let's us get behind the band because we're going to worship and we're the worship team. And when the whole church worships, the band's job is so easy. But some of this shift is we, we put things on people and ministries that are unhelpful. So stop exaggerating your role in the body. You are more like a catalyst. Your, the worship team are not the guys who are going to determine worship. The worthiness of Jesus determines worship. And we need to put a bigger, higher view of who Jesus is in front of people. And you will see thunderous worship rush from our hearts like the rushing of many waters. Stop owning other people's breakthrough as though you caused it. Yeah, I know, I remember that person. <laughs> they came up for prayer after the meeting and I prayed and they got that promotion and they got that thing. Guys, we're connecting people to Jesus, not to our prayers. We, we want Jesus to be the hero of every story. And so there are models of church where the, the senior pastor, the celebrity boss, pastor, he builds everyone toward himself. I used to be part of a movement where I was told, just remember, everything you have in this movement comes from us. 
Mm. And I stood there and I said, I can't agree with that. And it's not a, I'm not criticizing, I'm not, I'm, I'm not nursing pathologies around brokenness. I'm just thinking we are under rating the marvelous power of the grace of God at work in every one of our lives. And when you pray, you're just being a member of the body of Christ, stirring up the grace of God. It's flowing among us and between us in ways that life explodes. Oh, I sat with that person. They were having a real tough time in their marriage. And I shared three things. These, oh, their marriage is just doing so wonderful, wonderfully since I gave them my counsel. Stop it. <laughs> Behave yourself. I'm exaggerating a little, but I, I want you to see it. It's start making Jesus. Hey, can I ask God to help you in this thing? People come to us and sometimes in certain church models and and I'm being nervous of this, like we finish a sermon, we want to apply it, we want to be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We say, but then you shouldn't say, anybody got a need? Will the band just play softly and gently, Jesus calling? And then if you do, don't you just come forward, I'm feeling the anointing, which is the anointing. <laughs> I'd love to pray for you. And, and yes, I'm being a little bit naughty, but what, I, what I'm wanting you to see is sometimes it's not the need of the people. It's the pastor's just preached a front one. And now a front one means a not so good sermon. Now this is his chance to compensate. <laughs> what was that? What was that? I'm open. What else? <laughs> okay, guys, I am being a little naughty. I, I'm tr the difference between perceived needs so a person comes forward. Now, I know this is a bit of a cruel one, but Kenyans are not massively overweight. But a person can come forward, like is really, really large and say, oh, thank you, Pastor, for calling me. I just want you to know I've got these real sore pains in my knees. Oh, God can touch you, and I'd love to pray for you. She's three hamburgers short of a franchise. That's a bad thing to say but you are also beautiful and none of you are in that category. I'm trying to illustrate something. Stop laughing. This is designed. I want to illustrate. What's her perceived need? I've got pain in my knees. God, get rid of it. What's her actual need? Where's our compassion for her actual need? Actual need is to get some help with what's the underlying thing that's causing the overeating. Why are we so? Where's the addiction? What's the deficit? We need to go. God's after the real issue. And we're so busy ministering to symptoms because we've made perceived needs set the agenda of how we do ministry instead of rediscovering and being and loving enough. Listen, I've been a little naughty there, but loving enough to want to go after the actual need in people's lives. <laughs> Stop wanting freedom for people more than they want it for themselves. God came down to the cry of Israel. Their cry came up to God. Sometimes what happens is they transfer the burden. We now carry it and we get more desperate 
we get more desperate for our kids. Sue and I have some challenging conversations because she is the world's super granny. But when it comes to our grandkids and some of the things, I say, love, it's not our role. Let the kids handle it. Let's not overfunction. She says, but I'm a granny. And now grannies can get away with anything. But there is a sense in which sometimes we do have to recognize some of the boundaries and the limits around what we can, we can do. And stop rescuing people before their season of what God is doing in their lives is up. We think pain removal is the agenda. It's healing and maturity is the agenda. And so we get caught into the symptoms. And then finally, stop overemphasizing the church. Don't let our ecclesiology eclipse our Christology. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. If we put too much confidence in our church's programs, we subtly can find the church is trying to do what only Jesus can do. Now, Jesus can do it through the church through the body, and that's what we're going to look at in the next session. But uh, that's to stop. There might have been some other things that you've thought of will stop. Take the notes. Okay, what do we need to start to avoid over-functioning? Jesus knew that giving away work was essential for making disciples. Give people responsibility. Invite them to serve in the church. Start inviting people to serve and to add value. Times he said to his disciples when the crowd came and they, everybody wanted, to, uh, wanted food and, and, and the disciples said, send them away. Jesus, this is, this is an intrusion on our time. And Jesus said, no, no, we're not going to do that. You are going to feed them. Isn't that interesting? Put some responsibility on them. I heard a preacher years back say, many 25-year-olds are like pickup trucks. They swerve all over the road because there's no weight on them. And uh, young adults, that, like the story we read, a guy staying, staying at home very often needs responsibility to grow and to mature. So things to start. Start aiming for maturity, not problem solving. Start giving books to people to read. Try this. It's just brilliant. Try giving books to people to read around actual need, not perceived need, and not be overconfident in a quick fix prayer or a moment or some advice because they'll go deeper in a book, number one. Number two, they can't argue. When you're reading a book, you can't argue with it. You, 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 and, you, and as you go deeper, those defenses come down and there's more gospel penetration. Thirdly, start giving assignments, not appointments. When there's a lot of work in the church, don't think who we get a point. Think who can we assign some responsibility to? Like in life groups, what do you call your life groups, small groups? Life groups. In a life group. Soon I've just started, started a life group in, 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 in Cape Town. And I'm thinking of who can I ask? On night one, I said, hey, guys, I need a facilitator, someone who will be like our comms secretary person. Next thing, I'm going to say, buddy, just get the birthdays of all of these people. We're going to. Put that on our WhatsApp group whenever we, we need to and just start to get everybody dialing in. Now, put weight on this guy who's been outside of church in any meaningful way for about five years. And suddenly, that, I've given him an assignment. He's not responsible for the small group. He's not setting the direction or the input. But I've created 
some weight carrying, which uh, he was delighted to do. He's all over it. He's all over it in such a beautiful way. Good. Start asking the right questions when you sit with people. Like, hey, so good to see you. What's God been saying to you lately? It's the most defining question you can ask anybody. What's God been saying to you? Or what passage of scripture has come alive? I mean, that's after you've said hello and had a cup of tea. <laughs> you don't walk up to... He'll tell you everything. If he says, oh, I've been reading How to Be a Millionaire by the Time I'm 30, what does that tell you about that person? All the idols of their heart are exposed simply because that's where their focus is. That's where their affections are flowing. And the gospel is there to rightly order our affections back to God and then in and through his church to the world. There's a few guys laughing because they got caught out trying to be millionaires. How are you trusting God to use you? Do you think God could use me? Of course he could. Look at the guys he's used in the Bible. God can't be disillusioned us because he's got no illusions about us in the first place. He uses raw clay. You know, what's the raw clay of the church? Romans 4 and verse 5. God justifies the wicked. That's how you start a church. That's how the first church was started. They were justified. And what was that clay? Wickedness. Wicked people. Now, you don't make the wicked elders, but they become part of the church through this amazing, or there are some exceptions. <laughs> okay. Okay, start being more dependent on the Holy Spirit in those times. I have a, a thing. I don't do it all the time, but it's been such a powerful discipline when I'm really under pressure. I come out of my devotions and I bring my diary before God and I pray the presence of Jesus into all of my appointments in that day. And I say something like this, Lord, you know that this person that I'm needing to spend time with today, you've called me to serve. You know that they need to encounter you. I don't say, oh Lord, you know I'm all that they need. Please help them to see that. <laughs> no, Lord. Help, won't you be present? Won't you go ahead? Won't you prepare their hearts for the kind of conversations? Won't you prepare me? Won't you draw out of my reservoir of wisdom what I need? And if my reservoir is not good enough, please bring it down by the gifts of your spirit into that moment. I, we need you. Guys, it is the introduction to life on steroids. It's been so supernatural. I've got into those environments and seen, wow, those prayers have been answered in such kind and gracious ways. Start limiting the time of your appointments. Murphy's Law, you tell somebody I'd like to spend a one and a half hour with you to take that thorn out of your finger. Now, how much time do you really need to take that thorn out of the finger? 30 seconds? Okay, um, again, silly illustration. Sometimes we need to give more time where there's burden. But a lot of people we're spending time with, we actually are going to do what we're doing in the next session. I'm not giving you the most neglected spiritual gift in the body of Christ yet because we're going to get there in a moment. Not people gift, spiritual gift. 
Start limiting the time of your appointments because a lot can happen in five minutes. And some of the appointments can be corridor conversations. Hey, I just want to have a quick whisper in your ear about something. And the Lord might have given you some encouragement and you just say, hey, I was just thinking about you today and I'd love just to let you know. I felt God say, this is an area that he wants to encourage you with. That's preemptive pastoring, not waiting for a crisis to decide is it burden or load. No, just generally start to be a person that has limits the conversation. Some, you can have a half an hour conversation and do incredible input with people. So you don't have to have the standard because Google Calendar or whatever one you says puts it all in hours. Or you don't have to have an hour appointment for every person you see. So that's not because people don't matter. It's because what we're sharing is a way sharper strategy to not overfunction. And if you're giving everyone an hour and you go to see five people in a day and you're giving them all an hour, let me just tell you the emotional energy required of you in those five appointments is incredibly taxing. And there's other ways to do that. Okay, last one. And then we're going to have our, you said two minute break, is that right? <laughs> so we've looked at what we've got to start. We've looked at what, uh, what we've got to stop. Why do you think we need to surrender? Why do we need to learn to surrender? You know why? Because sometimes we're overly idealistic. We love fairy tales. And fairy tales generally are you reading to kids when they go to sleep and there's the fairy story ending. I call it unrealistic and overly idealistic. Uh, outcomes. You, 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 you just think the moment deserves a fairy story ending. Now guys, the fall tells us that there are no fairy story endings in this life. There is a fairy story ending coming and the restoration of all things and God's amazing work in and through his son, Jesus Christ. But one of the reasons we can't surrender is we can't bear to lose our investment in people. We've put all this time in, and then you want more, you want freedom for that person more than they do. So then you try harder, and then you try harder, and you think that's what loving people do. We go the second mile. Folk, we've got to learn to surrender our outcomes and realize that most people's response is not to you, it's to Christ. And if there's not the appropriation in this season, sometimes your absence is the catalyst to the convicting power of God in their life to bring them to where they really need to be. Remember that story of the prodigal son? This is his son. He let him go. He surrendered his son to the sovereign dealings of God. And so, a few other things to surrender is surrender your definition of success or failure. If you were called to move to somebody and bring them pastoral care and they didn't res respond well, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what you were called to do. The outcome is not evidence, good or bad, whether you've been faithful. Thirdly, surrender control. 
whilst you still carry responsibility. Can't control things. God has given us control. And those disciples were out at sea and the waves were breaking. They feared a great fear because they thought things were out of control. They were out of their control. They were not out of God's control. And Jesus woke from the sleep in a storm. What kind of person sleeps in a storm? Someone who's yielded their whole life to God's sovereignty and to his control and his perfect will. We've got to also surrender our disappointments. That's human. One man waters, another man, one man plants, another man waters. But it's God who makes all things grow. And surrender your need to justify existence by accomplishment and results and upwardly mobile in the church. Hey, this is an army of servants. And we serve our way into profile. Jesus was able to surrender outcomes because his identity was not riding on everything being perfect. Jesus did not have perfect success track record. In his original 12, he had a Judas. Even within his own disciples, he had lots of oopsie moments of having to say, oh my dear, this unbelief. Oh, where did I find you? Lovingly, you know. Let the dead bury their dead, he said. Go and give, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. How to lose a crowd. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> it wasn't all about froth and bubbles of success. Jesus allowed people to walk away very sad. But he also gave work back to the people and from time to time allowed them to opt out. You learn to surrender the outcome to Christ, our disappointment in Christ.